Hey guys, welcome to the Business Alchemist. If you are new, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're with me for a while, thank you so much for coming back. I'm really excited here. We're doing a podcast swap, I guess you can say. My dear friend, someone I've gotten to know over, I guess, the past year or maybe even two at this point, he is also a self mastery expert. You guys are going to hear why today. He is an author of two amazing books, which will be in the show notes. One is an international bestseller, and he is an amazing speaker, which you guys are going to hear today. Princeton Clark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jackie. It's great to be here. I try to have a lot of energy because you have a lot of energy. And I was like, I have to put energy into introducing <laughs> Princeton. You guys are going to hear why today, but Princeton, it's really, truly an honor to have you on my show. I heard you speak numerous times, and every time you speak, you not only light up the room, but you raise the frequency in individuals. So we're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to take it step by step. So my first question that I love to ask people is take me to the beginning. Maybe it was your darkest moment in your life. How did you get to start to get to where you are today? Mm, Great question. Well, for me, I mean, I guess the nutshell question or the nutshell answer would be, you know, it started at the beginning. You know, my pain was preparation for my purpose. You know, as a child, I experienced a lot, you know, mental, physical, verbal abuse, I also experienced molestation at an early age and, you know, deep depression. I was on medication for ADD, ADHD, you know, most of my early life and graduated high school, barely graduated high school in gangs on drugs. At the age of 23, however, I hit a pivotal point where I was just done. I felt like my life was cursed. You know, nothing was going to work for me. You know, I was no good for my family. I was no good for the world in general. And I just got into a really dark place in myself because of the culmination of all the different things that I had experienced in my life. And that night, I was, yeah, 23. I put a gun in my head and I said, I'm done. And I pulled the trigger and the gun misfired. And that's a that's a nutshell right there. A lot happened in that space of time. But that's when I realized that something greater than me was standing in the gap for me. And that my life had a purpose and it changed my life forever. I always tell people, even though the literal bullet didn't fire that night, a conscious one did. And I realized I wasn't where I was because of what happened to me. I was where I was because of how I chose to respond to it. And that awakened this deeper level of awareness where I realized that if I could create the mess of a life that I had created, how much more of a powerful life could I create if I actually started living like I gave a damn? If I actually started living and loving myself every day and started really showing up in my life, changing the way that I think, changing the way that I I responded and the way that I spoke, you know, how much more power or how much more powerful rather could my life be? And that's when the journey for me really began. Wow. So I'm going to, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm going to ask you the question because you just said something very powerful, like a conscious bullet almost. Mm -hmm. And take me to Maybe that second of you pulling the trigger. And by the way, I'm so grateful that it didn't work because you are an amazing soul who I love getting to know. So I'm so grateful that it didn't happen the way it it was about to. But in that second, 
take me through, because maybe there's someone listening or maybe someone's thought about it, right? And maybe we can stop them. But take me through that second of you're pulling the trigger, what's on your mind? And then in that split second, it doesn't go off. How did that shift occur? What was going through your mind in those few seconds? Mm, Such a good question. I get asked that question a lot. You know, when the moment first hit, I always tell people it's crazy how much peace comes over you when you go to make a decision like that. Well, it, it was in my case anyway, because for me, it was like a release. It was an escape away. Finally, I would be able to rest. My kids would be better off in my mind. And the things that we convince ourselves of, you know, my my wife at the time would be better off without me. My family wouldn't have to worry about me anymore. You know, and so all of these things are going through my head at the time. And, and it's finally like I just took a breath. And it was like now or never. And I just pulled the trigger. But it was almost like it was automatic. Like I was there, but I wasn't there, you know, because ultimately you really are outside of yourself, you know, in that moment. You know, you're not connected at a deeper level of self. I didn't even know what that was, but it was like I was on autopilot. My pain was on autopilot. And when I pulled the trigger and the bullet misfired or the gun misfired, rather, I just remember it feeling like fire shot through my body, like the shock. And it felt like my entire body was on fire, but it was like it was vibrating. I can't describe it any other way than that. And when they say your life flashes before your eyes, I I can't even put into words if I tried, but I guess that's the only way I could say it, you know, because it was like in an instant, like all these memories and things that I had done and things that I experienced started hitting me. But in that flood, it was also the smiles of my children, the happy moments, all the things that would be missed. And in that moment, I felt this intense, and I have chills even as I'm saying it right now, I felt this intense state of gratitude, like, thank you. Thank you. Because in your pain, you get so lost in it that you don't, you don't really see how it's going to affect anyone else. You know, and because you're so in your pain, you don't think about what could potentially be possible for tomorrow or, you know, the emotional damage that it could do or all the memories that you'll get to, you'll, you'll never get to experience. And in that moment, it was like, I saw two, two alternate realities, I guess you could say the one where my life was over and the one where I was still there. And I just felt, I broke down. I was just crying and, but it was just this gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I still at that moment didn't know what was happening, but I tell people now, you know, I had a mass awakening, you know, because following that moment, I probably sat in the car for probably about four hours after that and just recapping my life, thinking about what had just happened, thinking about the fact that I'm still breathing and all of a sudden, I mean, because the gun that I had, it was relatively new, you know? And so now I'm thinking about, you know, the, I grew up religious, you know, Southern Baptist, you know, grew up in church, you know, but I always tell people I was a drug baby. I got drugged to church. Um, It was never because I really wanted to be there, but I had enough awareness just through that experience to believe at that point that something higher than me 
saw some value in me, that it wasn't my time. And it happened for a reason. And so I just started asking the question that night, like, why am I here? Like, what's the point of all of this? And it like hit me like a ton of bricks with every one thing you've been through. If you can change, if you can love yourself enough to seize this opportunity, there's at least a million people out there struggling with just one of the things that you've experienced in your life that you can help, mm-hmm. that you can impact. And every breath that you breathe from this moment is a gift. And, you know, we always say that, right? Tomorrow's not promised. Every day is a gift. You know, every breath is a gift. But for me in that moment, that night, it became real. Mm. And yeah, it, it was an amazing experience. I'm grateful. I have goosebumps just, you know, putting myself in your shoes in that that day, right? Because you sat in the car for four hours, you obviously reevaluated everything, you started to take every breath as a gift, which is something we're going to talk about today as well. A lot of people don't understand the, the journey and what a gift that really is. But then take me through maybe the next actionable steps you started to take to really change around because people, you know, anyone listening, you know, I always tell people all the time, you could read books, you could listen to podcasts, you could listen to amazing speakers, but there's certain actionable steps and things you must do in order to start to change your life. What were some of those actionable steps that you started to take? Oh, wow. Great question. For me, I always tell people don't compare themselves to me, but for me, I, it was really different because I had such a state of awareness following that event, like that week, because I was an alcoholic before the age of 21. I was on drugs. I was in gangs. I mean, I've seen things that most people only see on TV, but that week I quit drinking cold turkey. I quit using drugs cold turkey. And it was just, again, this zest for life, like every moment mattered to me, you know, and I took it so seriously. But following that, I, I really had to isolate, excuse me, I really had to isolate myself. I really had to evaluate where I was putting myself, the situations, the people, the circumstances, all the different things. And I had to ask myself an honest question. Is this adding value to my life or is it taking value away? And in every area that I saw my life being taken from me, my energy being taken from me, I had to make a decision to separate. And so following that, I separated myself. I isolated myself for over a year. But along with that became this became this hunger of knowledge. And, you know, people always say, you don't know what you don't know, right? But I knew what I didn't know. I knew that I didn't know how to love myself. I knew that I didn't know, you know, how to become this better version of myself. I knew that I didn't understand emotionally, like how to control how I was responding to things. And so my grandmother, this quote, this saying my grandmother used to always say when I was young, hit me so hard during this time. And it was, if you want to hide something from a man, put it in a book. And it's that quote stayed with me. And so I literally, I would go to Barnes and Noble. I always say, stop making excuses. Like I would go and I would read sometimes five to 15 hours a day. And sometimes I finish books in days, but I wasn't reading just to say I read. I was reading 
to literally find answers. And every day I would learn something new and it wasn't that I waited. See, a lot of people will get information and then, you know, they'll kind of store it, you know, and I call them information hoarders. You know, I wasn't reading to be an information hoarder. I was reading to get my life in order. I was reading to get tangible steps and tools and wisdom because as Tony Robbins says, success leaves clues. Hmm. You know, and so I started studying human motivations. I started studying conscious psychology. I started studying emotional intelligence. I started studying spirituality. And the more I expanded in knowledge, the more wisdom I gained, the more power I realized I had. So the vision for my life began to expand as to where I was in a small space in the fear and the worry and the doubt. When I fully started giving myself permission to live my life, my vision for my life expanded because now I was seeing through eyes of love, peace, joy, opportunity. If I was willing to gain the information and embody that information, I could now have the wisdom to create whatever it is that I wanted to create. And so one thing that I always tell people is start where you are, look at how you're showing up in each area, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and ask yourself, does the way that I currently show up in these areas align with what I truly desire? Does it align and give me more peace? Does it align and give me more joy? Does it align and bring more love and inspiration into my life? Or does it take those things from me? And then start asking yourself, and this is where you have to be really honest. What steps can I take? And if you don't know, ask, reach out to people. You know, I was spoken at an event recently and I'm, I'm about to share that video on my social media, but I was saying, you know, in this day, if you are not succeeding, if you're failing, it's by choice because there's so much information. You can literally Google struggling in this area. What can I do? Struggling building my business. What can I do? Struggling in my relationships. What can I do? You know, and you just got to go seek out the information because your brain can't quantify or qualify what you haven't experienced yet. It doesn't have the information via the experience. So you have to go out and you have to seek it. And this means you have to be intentional. Get around people, get accountability partners, people that are going to speak into you, people that are going to inspire you, people that are going to push you, but also people that are going to tell you the truth about how you're choosing to show up. And they're going to hold you to what you truly desire for your life. And so that would probably be the first thing that I would tell people to do. Mm. Now, there's someone listening who maybe they, you know, maybe they've tried to do it. And it's very important. You talk about this a lot, decision and choice. Failing is a choice. Your life not working in your favor is a choice. But let's say there's someone who's listening and they're like, I have tried. I have done. And maybe they're falling back into old patterns, right? And we know this, we've spoken about this, you and I, people we know, we talk about neural pathways, right? Reprogramming, rewiring those neural pathways. Did you at any point when you were on this new journey, this this new um, way of living, did you find yourself at any moment wanting to go back into the old programming? How did you catch yourself? How did you stop yourself? How does someone listening who maybe has tried and failed get back on the horse and really start to change their life, even if they've tried and failed? Like, Because the old programming, as you know, as we all know, it tries to come back and go back on autoplay. So how did you do that? 
Oh man, not a great question, girl. You're a great interview. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I get the juice out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, as I always say, we're all spirits on a journey, having different human experiences, and nobody starts the journey and does it perfectly. You know, I always say it's not about perfection, it's about progress. And so, yes, there were many times along my journey over the past 20 years where I cried. <laughs> I wanted to give up. I wanted to stop. And, you know, there were times where I, I had to put some things on pause, you know, because I was trying to do more than what I was capable of stepping into because I'm an idealist. It's like, I see the best. I believe this is possible for me. And then, of course, you got social media now where everybody's doing all the stuff and everybody has a highlight reel. And, you know, <laughs> I said, separate. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's like separate from social media. You know, I would literally have to go through a online detox where I would literally separate from technology, you know, any social mm -hmm. media and just clear my head because as I grew and I started getting around other people doing more, I started expecting myself to show up like them. But on your journey, you know, I always say, look at the ideal version of you from where, from where you are right now. What would the happy version of you look like? What would the peaceful version of you look like? What would the successful version of you look like? And then ask yourself, how are they showing up? How are they speaking? How are they thinking? And then realize that if you can see that version of you, that version of you exists, you just have to start practicing what that version of you is practicing. And it's the reason we call practices, because you have to apply it every day. But each day, the goal isn't about being perfect. It's about getting to the end of the day and saying, even though I may not be where I want to be today, I'm better. And so for me, I took a lot of pressure off myself and I stopped focusing on trying to be with family or friends or what other people expected me to be, or even what my idealistic vision of my life revealed to me that I could be potentially. And I just started saying, okay, what can, what's one thing that I can do today to just mm. be better today? What's one thing? What is one thing? Maybe yesterday you laid in bed all day long. You were depressed. I struggle with depression. I know how hard it is when you're that perplexed within your energy, within your being, within your mind, within your thoughts. You know, and so yesterday you made a, may have laid in bed all day and then judged yourself for laying in bed all day. But today you got up. Maybe you didn't make the bed, but today you got up. You know, you took a shower. Celebrate that win. Because that's something new today that you didn't do yesterday. And this is really just on the on the on the, 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 the beginning end, like the lower end, not saying it's any less impactful. You know, any step forward is an impactful step in your life. And so focus on the steps. Just ask yourself, what is one step that I can take today to be better? Mm. Maybe yesterday you isolated yourself. Get out, go to a coffee shop today. Oh, you just read my mind. I was Go just going to say, because you said something important. You said, you know, making your bed, your environment. So if someone's listening and maybe they're not in their ideal environment, maybe they're in an environment where the people that they live with are toxic, or maybe the home isn't of the frequency or even looks like, you know, what they would want. Maybe, maybe it isn't kept clean. You know, there's so much factors that go into energy. And you just touched on something important. So if you're someone listening and let's say you're in that situation, don't use that situation as an excuse to why you can't better yourself. You can go to, you know, 
a, a local coffee shop, you know, they say even preferably, you know, go to like a nice hotel, sit in the lobby, maybe take out a laptop, try to get some work done, do the self-help, you know, change your environment. You know, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this also. When I was in, you know, a toxic environment before in my home environment, and I was attempting to manifest and change and, you know, be the ideal version of myself, I would drive around and I would drive in places that I didn't know, areas I didn't know. Maybe it was, you know, a place I wanted to live, actually in the neighborhood I wound up. So it's interesting. And I would just manifest as I was driving. I would have visions and really uplift myself. And where do I see myself in a year? So if you're someone, you could do that walking and that's, you know, that's, that's conscious meditation. You could be taking a walk. You could be driving. You could be drinking water, setting an intention because your environment is so important. So were you at the time in an environment? Because I know you told me you moved. So you had to put yourself in an environment. So how, how did you create the environment around you in order to match the frequency? Well, for me, it, it was a little different in the beginning because as I said, I grew up in the Bible Belt. So when my journey first began, I didn't really know, like, as far as energy and spirituality, other than religion, that's all I really knew. And that's all I could really associate it with. And so I ended up going back to school because I started studying the Bible because I was like, that's really the only book that I initially knew. And so I started studying the Bible to try to find examples of other people who had experienced things that I had experienced. But I didn't just read it based on my religion. I read it based on the original translation. So I started studying the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic. And I realized that a lot of stuff was taught really wrong, which led me to going back to school. I got a bachelor's of biblical studies in Eastern religion. Then I decided I was going to become a minister and then become a pastor. And uh, I was more of a pastor like Neo in the Matrix. Like I'm going in and I'm going to teach it right. Did that for about five years. And what I will say about that experience is that it gave me a community. You know, I don't agree with everything with organized religion, but it gave me a community. And one thing that I will say too, is that the environment overall is a loving environment. You know, everybody's going through something. You don't feel like you're the only one, you know, and if that's, that's all I had in the area that I grew up in. So becoming a minister and getting involved with a church, and this could be any organization, get involved with an organization that provides support or that supports others. You know, one thing that really helped me on my journey is getting out and getting around other people and helping other people. Because what I realized was that there are people out there experiencing things that they would trade their experience with me in a day. Like right now, they wish that all they were struggling with was what I was struggling with. And I realized that I had so much more to be grateful for because I was always seeing or hearing stories or experiences of something that was more challenging than what I was currently experiencing. And so it kept me going and it kept me in a state of gratitude. And so I tried, I passed it for five years before my spirit just led me to a point where it was like, okay, clearly you can't, this system is not going to receive the message that you have. You can't use the system to change the system. You must become something new. But I'll say in the beginning, that's what really helped me was getting around other people, you know, and for some of you, you know, maybe church, you know, it might put a bad taste in your mouth. You know, maybe you've experienced some things. Get on apps like Meetup, meetup.com, you know, find organizations and groups around you or in your area, you know, that meet up. Maybe it's art meetup. Find 
ways to get around people who are passionate about something, interested in something. Maybe it's something that you used to dream of doing when you were a child and you just it just kind of got put on the back burner. Get out and start creating new experiences. You know, and so you gave a lot of great examples. But when I moved to Arizona, you know, because eventually that's what happened. I was in Virginia until I was 29. And then I moved to Arizona because I, I knew it was time. And so I had to completely move out of the area, but I had to build up to that point. It wasn't like my life changed and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, <laughs> I'm in Arizona now. I grew up around people. Most of the people are, that are born where I'm from die there. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they're very comfortable. You know, nobody's high achieving for the most part. You know, townies. I grew up in a one-stop like town. You know, or two blink town, as I say sometimes. You blink once, you halfway through it, you blink twice, you're out of it. (laughs) You know, and so, you know, so very small minded people in a lot of ways. And so when you're around, I heard a speaker say one time, he said, if you're the smartest person in your circle, you need to get a new circle. Mm, That's for sure. Yeah. And so for those of you listening who are in a space, you know, maybe you've been a high high producing entrepreneur or business owner or executive and you've been overcompensating, but now the pressures of life are weighing on you. And then at home behind closed doors, everything hits you like a ton of bricks. Don't focus so much on having to wear the mask every day. Find other situations and scenarios that you can go and be a part of that allows you to just be human. Mm. Get around people who just want to talk about maybe you might consider it silly stuff or people might consider it silly stuff, you know, get around people who actually talk about the things that you care about, but maybe you haven't talked about in a really long time, find reading groups, you know, like book clubs, you know, or find bowling leagues or volleyball or whatever. It's summertime. Like get out. There's things going on. Get out of your familiar reality or your familiar circumstances and create new ones. You know, it's interesting how you had a transition from religion to spirituality, and it seems like it was something intuitively that happened organically and naturally. So how was how was your relationship with spirituality? What does intuition mean to you? So maybe there's someone listening and maybe they are religious, but they're opening up to spirituality, or maybe they want to be spiritual and they're not sure what is that inside of me? I know it's guiding me somewhere. Is it my intuition? So what's intuition to you and how did you strengthen that through spirituality? I'd say from the beginning, once I, my journey began, again, my awakening happening happened very quick. You know, I would venture to say for those of you who are familiar, I had a millennia awakening. It wasn't like a little bit here, a little bit here, five years, a little bit here. It was like, like everything, the night that I tried to commit suicide, everything in me exploded mm. at once. And so I was very sensitive. I started probably six months after that, I started having visions. Like I would see things before they would happen. And I thought I was going crazy. You know, like I would say stuff, but it would be when I would be in meditation or prayer and I would journal all the time, whatever would come to me. Because I, I tell people, like, I always follow the spirit. I always follow that inner voice. Because that night that I tried to commit suicide, that voice got loud to me. It, mm. it was very loud. It wasn't, I don't even know how to really put it into words, but it was very pronounced in my energy, in the energy of my being. 
And the peace that I felt, I remember waking up the next day and everything was brighter to me. Everything was, the colors were more vibrant. Mm. And so I began to really just, that feeling became so familiar to me that every day I would go to Barnes and Noble when I would pick out books, I would close my eyes and I would walk down the aisle and I would say, give me what's for me today. And I would feel this feeling that would just say, stop. And that's how I would pick the books that I would read. And I, I, I mean, it's a practice, like really tuning into that because we stay more in our heads than we do in our hearts in that, in that, that's that intuitive space. And so because my head had been shattered, my world, my views, my perspectives were shattered in an instant. And I was now choosing intentionally to live my life. Seeking that feeling became something that I did every day. Mm. You know, if I woke up and I was frustrated, it's like, because it was so adverse to that feeling, I would immediately know it. I would break down into tears. I would go and close the door. I would put um, like either worship music on or, and I mean, again, not even knowing what I was doing, you know, but I would put, more, put worship music on. I would get down on my knees, you know, in praying position and I wouldn't ask for anything. I wouldn't say anything. I would just be quiet mm. and I would just cry. I would just cry. And sometimes you don't, it's hard to listen to your intent, your, your intuition mm. because we're holding so much on the inside. But you have to create space for yourself to know that it's okay not to be okay sometimes. And that's what I had to do in a lot of those moments and really sharpening my intuition is know that in this human experience, we were created to experience the whole rainbow of emotion, the whole rainbow of experiences. And they're only negative negative if we see them as negative. You know, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes is, if you change the way you see things, the things you see will change. And so I changed the way that I saw things. I stopped seeing things as a challenge and I started asking deeper questions. What is this revealing to me? What is this exposing in me? What steps can I take now? And instead of thinking about it, I would just get quiet and I would just listen. Mm. But it was like this internal listening. You know, when it comes to spirituality, biblically or in religion, they call it discernment, discerning of spirits. Discernment and intuition are the same thing. I, I used to get into debates all the time when I was a pastor because they would say, you know, you're saying all this new new age stuff. And I'd say, it's not new age. It's just new to you. It's not woo woo. It's you, you. It's just the version of you that you don't know. And so I would dive deeper into, you know, just the spirituality that religion does dive into, but it's been masked, you know, by cultural cultures and rituals and ideas and perspectives and all the exegesis around what believe who believes what and why and it's so fragmented but spirit you you are a spiritual being mm. you know say i don't know you know how do i know when it's my intuition well you know when you're not happy right you know when you don't have joy you know when you don't have peace anything that is communicating or leading you down a path that goes against that it's 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 adverse to your intuition. It's being led by a program. Mm. And so how I started becoming aware of my intuition is that when I would ask myself, okay, what can I do that would give me more peace? And I would really feel into that. Sometimes it what it would require me to do wouldn't feel good. And I think we confuse feelings with intuition. Yeah. 
Your intuition will always lead you and guide you to what's best for you. But sometimes your intuition might say, it's time for you to leave this relationship. It's time for you to leave this job that you're in. It doesn't serve you. You're martyring yourself for a life that you don't love. Or let's simply simplify it a little bit. You're driving down the road and something says, go this way. Make this right. And you don't make that right. You keep going. And how many times do you come back to yourself? You run into an accident or you run into traffic or it's a detour and you say, I knew I shouldn't have come this way. Hmm. We're using our intuition all the time. You, you say, I want to go to this restaurant. And then something was like, no, nah, let's let me go to this one. I haven't been over here in a while. And then you go and then you don't like what you get. And it's like, I knew I should have went to that other restaurant. Like we're using it in the simplest of ways all the time. It's our internal guidance system. But I think a lot of the times people think when we talk about intuition, it's got to be something so deep. Like it's like it's a part of you. Mm, it's speaking to you all the time. And I want to talk about that because it's very important what we're going to discuss now. It's the fact that that inner voice, that inner compass intuition that is always guiding us. And I feel where humans make the mistake is if the reality or the programming doesn't match the voice of the inner knowing, they go based on the programming and then they're actually creating more resistance. So to someone maybe who's listening and let's say they they want to leave that relationship or they want to leave that job, but they keep running into that programming. I know you specifically talk about making that choice, help them maybe right now make the choice of not choosing fear and listening to that inner knowing of whatever it is? Well, if you're in the midst of a transitional situation or moment in your life and you know, you know, it's a deep knowing, you know that it's time. I'll say this, personal, my personal experience, my first wife, I don't say my ex-wife because I love her. She's the mother of my children. She'll always be a very special part of my life and we're really good friends. But I knew five years before I finally left her that it was time. I knew it. In my spirit, I knew it. I knew she wasn't the one I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I couldn't even see a vision for us being together for the rest of our lives. Mm. You know, and so I always ask people is when you're in a transitional moment of your life, if you can't see a vision Because your spirit will always reveal to you what's possible for you. If it doesn't reveal it to you, it's not for you. So in a marriage, if if the situation or in a relationship, we don't even have to go into marriage, but in a relationship, if you look ahead and not based on potential, but based on actual fact of how things are manifesting, how they are showing up, or you're looking at a job and you're based on what you're receiving, how you're being respected and honored, what the opportunities are. If you can't see yourself experiencing joy and love, and you can't see a vision of seeing yourself as an evolved, expanded version of yourself in that position, you might need to let it go. Hmm. And your soul is telling you. It's a reason why you wake up every single day And most of the time, we don't want to get out of bed because our life doesn't excite us. There's nothing that's speaking into us. There's nothing that's feeding our soul. You know, and so it's like, why get up? I remember going through that so many times on my journey, even after my life changed, growing through different pivotal moments. Even when I worked for Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi, it got to a point where I was like, okay, it's time to transition. 
You know, my spirit spoke to me one day in meditation and it said, I only brought you here to show you how much further I want to take you. And that was probably one of the toughest decisions aside from going or growing through rather my divorce with my oldest kid's mom. That's probably one of the toughest decisions because my entire life or once my life changed, I saw this opportunity and I knew that I would work with them one day. And so to me, it was like, that would be the ultimate goal. But I got there and I realized that it was nothing but a stepping stone. Mm. That's all it was. So every transitional point is a stepping stone. And what you have to do is honor yourself and love yourself enough to know what's not healthy for you, what's not feeding you, what's not bringing joy to your life, what's not adding value to your life. I always look at every aspect of life as an investment. Time is the most valuable investment and thing that you have in your life. But when we think about investments, there's this thing called an ROI, Mm -hmm. and that's a return on an investment. So whatever I put myself or give my time and energy to, it should be giving me something of value or of increase back. If I look at an area of my life and I'm investing my time, I'm investing my thoughts, I'm investing my emotions, I'm investing the state of being that I am in, I'm investing my life and it's not giving me an ROI back. Instead, it's taking from me. I know that that's something that's not serving serving me. So to everyone out there in podcast land that are listening right now, evaluate in these pivotal moments of your life, evaluate what the ROI is. You're investing every moment of your life is an investment of time that you will never get back. So ask yourself, what is the ROI? And if you can't see a significant ROI on the return of that time, the return of your energy, the return of your being, the return of your life, let it go because it does not serve you, nor does it serve the situation or circumstance because you may be occupying space that someone else was meant to feel. Mm, That was powerful. You know, and I always use this metaphor about breath work and I'm going to, you know, bring it to the point of the ROI. Breath work is the best metaphor for life because we inhale, we exhale, we give breath and we take it. We give, right? Give and take. And it's interesting that that's part of our human experience is breathing and giving, right? Inhale, exhale. There's a, there's an exchange between source, God, whatever term you're you know comfortable with and human in that breath work exchange, which is why it's a gift because it's constant. You're constantly giving and you're constantly taking. So it's very powerful. But I also want to shift a little now into energies because we're getting more into spirituality. And I know you're someone who understands masculine and feminine energy very well. And I love this conversation. I know you deal with a lot of feminine energy. So let's start there. Maybe there's someone listening and maybe I like to go by energy, right? So what would you define as the highest feminine energy? Like the most, what's the right term I'm looking for? Maybe the highest form of a of a healthiest, mature feminine energy. Ooh, you're digging into me today. I love it. Good question. <laughs> the highest form of feminine energy, well, I'll say the highest form of any energy is based in its capacity to fully encompass love. So when I think of feminine energy, I think of feminine energy, I think it's it's that creative 
it's the deep, intuitive, deeply connective, creative, passionate energy. You know, and I think seeing someone in their divine feminine, because male or female, you have the ability, you should be balanced in both. If, if we're truly honest, we should be balanced in both. But I think as I do, I do deal with a lot of feminine energy. Most of my clients are women and it's, 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 there's an uptick with more men coming. I think more men are beginning to wake up because they're, they're starting to see that, that over emasculated version of self, you know, where they're constantly, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Burnt out. <laughs> yeah. Burnt, burnt out, out, overcompensating, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, you know, wearing the masks, mm. you know, of the macho man, you know, when they're not, they haven't embodied that masculine. They haven't embodied that feminine um, completely. But I think that when we look at what's happening, I believe that the strongest version of the divine feminine is the version of you that is at peace with self to such a degree that you live in complete alignment with that essence of your own divinity. You're not expecting anything. You're not, you're not imposing yourself. You know, you're not declaring what you are because you have nothing to prove. You know, it's just this, it comes with this sense of stillness. There's a sense of peace that comes with the divine feminine. And what I love about it is even finding that as a man, the ability that I've gained to love myself, to nurture myself, to give myself space and grace, you know, and not be so hard all the time. The softness of that divine feminine gives me the ability to do that. And it also gives me the ability to listen and to trust myself more deeply. Because when I do that, there's like this well that opens up to me. You know, my vision begins to expand. You know, my dreams, everything begins to expand because of that deep inner peace that I have because I do practice the self-care. I do intensely love myself. You know, and when I say myself, I'm not talking about Princeton. I'm talking about the I amness of my being. And, you know, you were talking about breath. I was meditating. And I always say my deepest revelations have come when I was in my divine feminine. <sighs> so in my divine masculine, that's where I go and I create everything that the, the divine feminine has revealed to me. You know, but my divine feminine is that deep, soulful, intuitive part of me. And so I was in meditation 2011. I'm sitting on my patio and I'm just doing deep breath. And my spirit just speaks to me and says, stop breathing. And I'm very obedient to my spirit. So I take it as a challenge and I start holding my breath. And if someone had walked by, they probably would have thought I was crazy. But I literally started <laughs> holding my breath and after a few moments, of course, the body starts doing what the body naturally does. It starts fighting for the breath. And my spirit spoke to me again. My intuition spoke to me again and said, now breathe. And I, I started breathing and immediately this download came and my spirit spoke and said, you are not the, the body. You are the breath of the body. With each breath, you become something new. The breath is the paint. The body is the brush. The world is your canvas. Whether you say the art on your canvas is beautiful or you say it's ugly, you are still the master creating the masterpiece. With each breath, you become something new. What will you do 
with the paint of this new breath. And so for me, like breathing that in and taking that in, it, it brought me to a deeper state of gratitude. But I, I imagine like whenever I'm in that state, it's almost like the only thing I can equate it to is like when I was little and I would be held by my mom or my grandmother, mm-hmm. like cradled in their arms, this intense safety, like nothing can break through this. And I think when we truly start diving deeper into the divine feminine energy, we find safety. You know, I hear in this masculine versus feminine, you know, king versus queen, you know, high value man, high value woman society that we're in now, all the labels that people are throwing around, which is ridiculous to me. You know, you see this dynamic, but I hear a lot of women saying, make me feel safe. Mm. And let's dive into that because that's, that's a great, you know, follow up to the feminine energy is the masculine. What is the highest form of a masculine, right? Because a feminine wants to, I guess you can say, feel safe, right? I'll give you a perfect example and society, you know, it happens all the time. Let's say a woman's intuition, she thinks someone's lying to her. And now she comes to her masculine and she tells him, I feel this. And he's like, you're crazy. That's harming her connection to source. Because her intuition source is guiding her and telling her, honey, this is what's happening, whether he's cheating, whether he's lying, whether it's not even a a romantic partnership, maybe it's just a friendship, a business, right? So now walk me through the masculine energy, right? How should a masculine be? I don't want to say act. I want to say be. How should a, you know, highest form of a masculine energy be in order to make a feminine safe or just be a masculine? Mm-hmm. <sighs> I love it. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say being in the masculine and what I've had to learn as a man is we should be that fortress for women that gives them the ability to go even deeper in that safety. Because women bring something to us. My grandmother used to always say, the, the man may be the head, but the woman is the neck and she can turn the head whichever way she wants it to go. You know, but... Actually, she's angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but I believe, and I've always said this, I believe that women are some of the strongest forces on this planet. And because of the paradigm that we're growing out of or evolving out of, even with the the rise of the feminist movement and all that, like women fought so hard to be seen and heard because they didn't feel safe. They were controlled, manipulated, and you saw it throughout history. And so they got fed up and they're like, we want to be seen, we want to be heard. But in the attempt to do this, instead of going internal, they went external. And in doing that, they moved more into their masculine energy. Now, what that does in the form of society or relationship between man and woman is that now you have a bunch of masculine women. They're coming from a very hurt place and they're, they're, they don't even realize that it needs to heal because they've moved so into the masculine that they're constantly working and pushing to prove. A woman should never have to prove her worth to you. A woman should never have to prove her love to you. Because women by nature are nurturers, are warmth, are love. They give life. 
to all, all, all this entire reality. We couldn't exist without them. You know, and so as a masculine, as a man, it is my responsibility to create a space where even if she comes to me, understanding what women are navigating out of now, like none of us are all the way, quote unquote, woke. You know, it's a continual process. We are continually becoming more conscious and more expanded versions of ourselves. But everyone has traveled a different path. So if I'm with someone, what I've had to learn how to do, because I wasn't always this way, because I had to, when I felt like my authority was being taken, Mm. egoically, I'm going to challenge that. And I think what we have to realize is in the divine feminine, as women, we allow women and as women allow themselves to go back into that space, we as men now have a responsibility to now show up and hold that space for her. So even if she comes and you know that she's healing, she's learning to let go of that masculine energy and to find that balance within herself. If she feels something, okay, maybe she feels, and it could be a program, it could be her intuition. Maybe she feels something is off or something's not right or you're doing something you know, and it's triggering her. Stop trying to get so defensive. Stop trying to mansplain. In the in the wholesomeness of the masculine, what we are able to do is create a gate around her. But we also create a cup that she can pour that into because we're capable of holding it. And when you can create space, understand that women don't want you to fix their problems. Mm. They just want you to freaking listen. They want you to listen. And they want to get it out of them because women don't naturally want to hold on to the heaviness. Like it's so uncomfortable for them. And if they have to hold it for long enough, they're going to start stepping into their masculine because now they they feel hard all the time. You know, and so it's my job in my masculine to create a space that allows you to feel soft. That speaks to that divine queen in you that inspires you to go deeper, because I know that as you go deeper. What you bring back to me, you add to my vision, you add to my strength, you add to my sense of worth, you know, and I, I read years ago, you know, a king may be a queen, may, a king may be a king, but he can't step on the throne until the queen puts the crown upon his head. Mm. And, you know, I'm not sure how true that was, but for me, it really spoke loudly, you know, because I was going, growing through a pivotal time in my life. And I realized that. I can step out here and I can be boastful or I can talk about how strong I am, but it's like the saying, a man is only as strong as the woman who stands next to him. But I feel like a lot of men haven't developed in that masculine, in that strength, in that vision, in that protector role, you know, that provides a foundation that gives a woman in her feminine the space to soften up, to feel nurtured, protected, and directed and it doesn't mean you're controlling them. Direction and control are two completely different things. The masculine, the, the woman is very intuitive. And if she's in her feminine, she's naturally going to be able to sense things. You know, of course, men, we're, we're very intuitive too. As spiritual beings, we're all intuitive, all intuitive. But there's a dance that happens in a relationship between the masculine and the feminine. And if you're not aware of that, the masculine can override the feminine to such a degree that it starts to choke out the connection. And because women at their core desire deeper connection, what it does is it chokes out the relationship because it doesn't give her space to expand into the fullness of what she is. And so being in the most powerful essence of a divine masculine means that I understand my role 
as a protector. I understand my role as a visionary. I understand my role to create safety. I understand my role as a provider, you know, and if you cannot offer that, you may meet a woman that comes to you that's in her feminine or she's doing the work to be in her feminine. But the moment she sees or senses that you are not providing or you're not a protector or you feel threatened by her or whatever it is, she's going to start to close off to you. Well, first, because intuitively she knows. <laughs> I'm like, first, she's going to go. Into yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, first. And it's interesting because this is something I think about a lot is a lot of its programming, right? So a yeah. woman who, let's say, is in her masculine could be 50% of life, but 50% genetic buildup from her mother who had to be in the masculine and her grandma. Like people don't understand the frequency of generational energy. So when you're healing, and if you're listening, this is really important. I Like, I really want to plant this seed. The frequency, the energy, the thoughts you're having sometimes don't belong to you. Right. And sometimes when you want better, you need to go into meditation and you need to have that inner conversation with spirit, body, younger self and say, hey, I think this belongs to mom, grandma, father, grandfather, and I want to part with it. Thank you for, you know, the awareness you've brought in. But you have to learn that this is how deep energy is, that it comes from, we call it the mother womb, right? Like the mother wound or womb, right? It comes from the womb. So if you're listening, like that's super, super important. So can can you talk on that? Like, did you have the awareness for that during your healing process? And if so, what were some of the things you did to break a generational pattern, right? Because like you said, it wasn't just Princeton. You made a choice, a decision to change your family and generations to come because your children, their children are now going to operate on this frequency. So how did you navigate through that? Mm. For me, it was once I became more aware of myself, you know, I realized, as I say, as I always say, you know, Princeton is just an idea. You know, my mom has an idea of Princeton. The entire world has imprinted some sort of idea onto me. But growing up in any environment, psychologically, when I started psychology, 50% of your personality, because personality and spirituality are two separate things. 50% of your personality is developed between birth and four years old. 30% is developed between four and 11 and 20% between 11 and 18, which is why psychologically you are considered an adult based on how you respond to external stimuli by the time you're 18. Not doesn't mean you can't change it. But what I realized for me is that a lot of the, the pain, the anger that I felt had nothing really to do what was happening in my life in current moments, it had everything to do with what I experienced, you know, the lack of nurturing that I had, you know, the arguments that I watched, the the fighting that I watched growing up as a child, you know, the abuse, you know, even hearing the all the victimized statements that family members would make or that my mom would make or that my dad would make and the the me versus you, you know, growing up in that environment, it was like it really limited my ability to take accountability. Because it was like growing up where I grew up, everybody was blaming everybody. 
there was no accountability, but there was a lot of pain there. And one of my favorite books is The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks a lot about how energy is transferred. Everything is energy, number one. You know, if I had a powerful electron microscope and I zoomed in on this desk, on my skin, on the light, on the glass over here, ice water, whatever it is, if I zoomed all the way in, what you would see is matter Mm. and you would see energy, energy moving at different paces, different speeds. But it's all just energy. If you zoom into matter, matter is nothing but empty space connected by energy. What we see, what we taste, what we touch, what we smell, everything is nothing more than an energetic signal sent to our brain. Our body responds as a result of how we experience that energy, how we perceive that energy, or how we're taught to perceive that energy. So based on what we experience, if you have a major high or a major low at any stage in your life, there's, there's like these shock points. So if you have a major traumatic experience, energetically, it's like a shock to your system and your body will hold on to that. If someone has experienced that, such as a, a relative or someone close to you, and they're always talking to you about it and you're always around them, there's a transference of that energy. Even cellularly, cellularly as we're born, we're carrying a portion of that energy into our being because everything is one. All things are connected. And so no different than when you're with someone intimately, you know, people talk about energy bands. You know, if I am intimate with someone, it could take days unless I know how to do the right work, you know, go to an energy worker or someone like that, or I know how to do it myself to cut the bands. Those bands are connected to me that you ever notice how when you get around certain people, you can be in the best of moods, but you go around certain family or you start having certain conversations and you walk away and it's like, oh, like you feel heavy, heavy. It's like, what's going on? Or you could be by yourself and have the best day ever. And then all of a sudden something happens and it triggers something or a memory or an experience that you had when you were a little child. And all of a sudden you feel it in every part of your body as if it's happening now. It's because that energy is still a part of your being. And this is why energy clearing is so important. And a lot of people kind of push it to the side and it's like, literally, you can meditate till you're blue in the face. But if you don't know how to breathe and and bring in new energy, release new energy, you don't know how to clean, you don't know how to sage, you don't understand the different modalities using essential oils and all these different things that are available to you, you know, or even using a tuning fork to balance out your energy. Like all of these things were things that I had to do, you know, and these are modalities that I learned. Granted, there's simple ways to do it. You know, and you don't have to practice all of them, you know, but it played a major role for me. And I realized even up five years ago, like things were coming up for me. And I was like, where is this coming from? Like, I knew I was aware enough to know this has nothing to do with now. And even I'll even go back two years ago, I was struggling because I just ended my my engagement with my youngest daughter's mom. And I went through a deep, dark night of the soul. Like I was really going in, examining the stories that I was telling myself and what I was believing and what those beliefs were creating in my life. And I got to this point where I couldn't eat, like I couldn't hold any food. I couldn't even drink water without feeling like I was going to throw up. And I was like, what in the heck is going on? I was having migraines and it got so bad that I I was passing out. And I remember one night just going to, getting up, I fell asleep on the patio I woke up, it was about two o'clock in the morning. I get up, I'm walking to the bathroom after I wake up and my whole body is in pain. And I couldn't figure out where that pain was coming from. 
And I was like, I'm tired. Like, I got to go to the hospital. My diaphragm is hurting. Like, I can't breathe. Like, I don't know what's going on. And so I go to the, long story short, I go to the hospital. They run full barrier tests, every test they can run. They come back and they say, Princeton, you are perfectly healthy. There is nothing wrong with your body. And so, of course, I go home that night. They give me a few med- a few things to help me with nausea and things like that. But the next night, it continues. And I'm online. Literally, this, this shows you guys listening that it doesn't matter how much you grow, things are going to come up. You know, and that next night, I'm laying there. And I'm online, like, just because I needed someone to talk to, I'm looking at, like, crisis hotlines, because I'm like, clearly, I need to talk. I need to get something out of me. I don't know what it is. And all of a sudden, that intuition kicks in. Call home. Call home. And it's, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, my mom's, they'll be waking up. It's around 6. So I call home. My mom answers the phone. And as soon as I hear her voice, I start bawling like a baby like the words won't even come out like i can i'm literally <laughs> like like i can't catch my breath and all she's saying is what's wrong for instance and it was like the more she said it the more i cried like there was a release and so we ended up talking and, and the first thing that came out of my mouth is i'm tired of loving everybody else but nobody loves me the way i love them like, and it just starts coming out, coming out, coming out. And it, it was like little Princeton, like you were saying, like, like little Princeton in me. And I felt like a little kid. And so we just talked, talked, talked. It was a long, we talked for a few hours. And at one point she asked, she was like, do you want to speak to your dad? My dad had woken up. And uh, so my dad gets on the phone and he says, you know, what's going on, Princeton? And little Princeton came out again and said, I just want you to be proud of me. And I'm just crying. I just want you to be proud of me. And he said, Princeton, he's like, what are you talking about? I'm immensely proud of you. I look at the things that you're doing and I, don't, I can't even imagine how you do all of all that you do. You've written books. You inspire people all over the world. Like you have a podcast. You're doing all this stuff. You know, but that was one of those moments. I went home that week. I was there for an entire week. And by the end of the week, I was eating again. I felt normal again. And I realized for me at that point that I had been holding on to things that were deep in me. Some of the things that were driving me was because I wanted people to love me the way I loved other people. And I wanted people to be proud of me. But in that, I was ultimately seeking the love of my mother and my father. And I was seeking my father to be proud of me. Because I can count on one hand how many times my father told me he was proud of me my entire life. Mm -hmm. And most of those were recently. And so, yeah, that played a major role. And I think stuff will continue to come up. But because I embrace it and I listen, I surrender. And so that's what I say to anyone listening right now. It's a process. I'm not perfect. I'm not better than any other person on this planet. My journey is my journey. Your journey is yours. Embrace the process. Give yourself permission to release the things that don't serve you and don't be afraid to speak it out. Journal it. If you have to get around people that you trust, seek out people like Jackie. That's what we're here for. Seek me out. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, I love that you called home and your parents were a safe place. You know, I have a son and I can only hope that in those moments, he feels just as safe to call home. But with everything you know now, 
this is this is always my final question and I love this question. I'm so excited to hear your answer. What would Princeton today knowing everything he knows now, what would you tell younger Princeton? Mm. I would tell him simply it's going to be okay. And everything that's in you, everything that's a part of you, you don't have to fight to become something because you are already everything you were ever created to be. And if you would just trust that and believe that and just focus on taking the steps, everything that you are capable of being will manifest itself. So trust the process. Mm. With that said, Princeton, where can everyone listening find you on social media? At Princeton Clark on Instagram, at Princeton Clark. Typically, everything is at Princeton Clark. Um, Also, EvolvedMastery.com and PrincetonClark.com, as well as my Evolved Mastery podcast. And that's all going to be in the show notes, you guys. Princeton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.